Christians have a variety of practices concerning the Christian year, and since we represent a really diverse group of people from all sorts of backgrounds, there's a good chance that some of you don't have much knowledge about or experience with the broad traditions of Lent beyond a sort of vague idea that it's a time we're supposed to give something up for some reason. I hope you read the introduction to this season and this service that's on the last page of your program for the service. It'll refresh your memory or perhaps present a new thing to you. Lent always starts on a Wednesday because it lasts 40 days leading up to Easter, excluding Sundays, because Sundays in the Christian tradition are thought to be mini resurrection celebrations. And in Lent, we're not celebrating resurrection until Easter. And you'll note that the title of our weeks uh, during this season are Sundays in Lent, not Sundays of Lent. Little details, little, you can use this at, you know, some dinner party. (laughs) You know, know, I like to give you little tidbits every now and then. So it starts on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday. If you've never attended an Ash Wednesday service here, you won't know that participants are asked to write down on a slip of paper those things that block them from living into loving relationships with God, their neighbors, and themselves. You might think of this block as sin, but they could also think of it as any impediment that prevents them from moving into the place of forgiveness or acceptance or love or wholeness or integrity or health, keeping them separated from God from one another, and even from themselves. Have you ever felt separated from yourself? No. We do this odd activity because it makes explicit our intention to do some serious reflecting about our lives. That's why we do it. Now, we should always practice serious reflecting, of course, but we're lazy. <laughs> Right? I mean, we're lazy. So we set up this Lenten season to help us accomplish this really important spiritual work. So on Ash Wednesday, everyone is invited to jot down the things that block them from living full and holy lives on a slip of paper they've been given when they arrive. In past years, these slips are collected brought forward in the middle of the service where they're burned in a basin up front by the communion rail of our sanctuary. It's a rather dramatic moment. Then the ashes from these offerings are commingled with the ashes that we apply to their foreheads in a moment. This year, the fire department won't let us burn our bonfire down here. So, participants were instead invited to pin their contributions to the cross. That's what you see up here. 
And you're invited to participate in this activity if you weren't here yet. Or you could add <laughs> if you were here on Ash Wednesday and forgot something. But you're invited to... Uh, well, you know you did. <laughs> right? I mean, I know you did. <laughs> um, so during communion, feel free to walk to this cross either before you receive or after you receive and, and make your contribution. And then we'll keep these up as a reminder through our season. It's actually a nice little outcome this year. Well, in past years, as I said, the slips were burned in the basin and then commingled with the ashes that were applied to the foreheads. And you know, honestly, personally, I find this a deeply stirring activity for me. You know, the majority look me right in the eye when I come up to them and place a cross and say, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's a small but searing acknowledgement of our mortality and our vulnerable human condition. And to say it to each individual is a powerful thing. Participants routinely report that this service has, is one of the most significant markers of the year for them. It's a way of keeping time, of course. First-timers say how surprisingly real the experience is, how intimate, challenging how the ashes of their own brokenness mingle with the brokenness of Christ and mark them in an important way that defies words. By the way, that's why we do ritual activities. Ritual is an activity that's larger than the words we use. It's meant to capture more of our complete attention. I know from my own experience that doing this causes me to feel a kind of um, nakedness that points to the promise of the resurrection. Nakedness found in vulnerability. We're all alike in this way. One year in particular was especially poignant for me. The day before Ash Wednesday, a good, a close, a very close friend of mine called and asked me to come by his apartment. And he told me that he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And we spoke a bit, and then he quietly asked, looking into my face how much it would mean to him if I could accompany him during these last months. The next day during the service, I wrote on my little slip of paper the word fear. 
um, too many sorts of fears to list, so I let the solitary word suffice. But in my program, I jotted down several prayers as well. Here's what I wrote. Holy One, allow me to be present to my friend, conscious of my own mortality, to be available, loving, and alert. Let this alertness spill into the rest of my life, my daily encounters, and what I care about in the larger world. Help me to remember that each of us are companions for our homeward journey, regardless of how many days we have yet to live. Make me more conscious. Help me to face my fear of death and offer it up. Help me to honor the life remaining by listening to the better angels of my nature. That prayer, in other words, attended my jotting the word fear and receiving the tattoo of the cross on my forehead that year. Now, I wrote a few other words on that sheet of paper as well, more as kind of marker reminders. Courage, responsibility, forgiveness, repentance. He's captured a number of my intentions some of which had to do with my relationship with the Christ Church family, with you. Believe it or not. A good gift was given to me eventually. A stirring serendipity, really. I was able to be present when my friend died. And as, things, as these things go, he died very, very well. He was literally and figuratively cradled in love. And it even had a kind of beauty for sure. It came as a kind of culmination to my Ash Wednesday prayer. I was humble and grateful and changed. We participate in these odd activities to offer ourselves an opportunity to honestly take our lives and the lives of others completely and utterly seriously. Without any artifice or pretense, completely, utterly, seriously. We make the effort to set aside our cynicism, our awkwardness, our laziness, our distractedness, or some other foolishness to actually think and to pray and to meditate deeply on the condition of our lives and place in the world and our fundamental identity as citizens of the kingdom of God, people who attempt to follow along the path Jesus blazed. As Matthew reminds us this morning, immediately following his baptism, Jesus walked out into the desert where he did his own personal spiritual homework. 
He confronted his own demons of power, and who knows what else. He looked at them straight in the face, and he chose another path. This story tells us that like the rest of humanity, Jesus had to make sense of his fundamental identity. In this, he was just like us. He had to situate himself, and he had choices to make, just like us. Just like us. Who am I really is the agitating question. What matters to me anyway? How will I employ the various powers that have been embedded within me? How shall I use or abuse my mind or my body or my spirit? To what end shall I focus my energy? And so on. And you know, friends, invariably, these questions get answered by us one way or another whether or not we choose to be conscious. They get answered one way or the other, whether or not we choose to do it consciously. And they never really go away. That becomes clearer the older I get. They never go away. Don't think for a moment you can escape. You can't. Sometimes a kind of awkward truce among options masquerades for a real identity, but usually a masquerade falls apart somewhere along the way. Underlying many factors that we might label psychological, sociological, environmental, developmental, is the more fundamental realm of the spiritual. Get the spiritual aligned with reality, then we have a much, much better chance with the rest of it. There's a very good reason why the first steps of AA include these. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. So, Jesus wandered out into the desert... The scripture says, interestingly, I don't know if you caught it, that it was the spirit that led him out into the desert. The spirit got him out there. Which would seem to indicate, would seem to indicate this was a necessary bit of work that Jesus had to do before he set out for certain on his path. And let's be clear, it was work. It was work. And let's also be clear, it's work we all have to accomplish. None of us gets to escape. None of us off the hook. The work is in front of all of us. You know, sometimes we postmodern seekers fall into the trap of thinking this spiritual thing should be rather easy and pleasant, snappy and jazzy. Yeah, that's not bad. Leading to all sorts of nice outcomes like happiness and um, prosperity. Prosperity would be great. God wants me to be prosperous, right? And while I certainly believe there is astonishing glory to witness and experience, absolutely astonishing, this does not come without a certain price, and it's the price of our personal work. 
we ignore this at our peril. Our own peril for certain. But I know from experience working with hundreds of people It's also the peril of those with whom we live and work and have our being. My unwillingness to do this work puts them at peril. The closer they are, the greater the peril they're in from our own frailty and unwillingness to do the work that has been assigned to us. something we don't often think about. As Jesus wandered out into the desert, we have wandered here into church, which is a poor substitute, I suppose. But the best option at the present moment. And we take stock of our lives and of our situation in the world the good news is, is that we get to do it together. We are not alone. And the good news is, is if the Spirit leads us out into the desert, we can be certain that the Spirit attends us in the desert as well. We are not alone. You are not alone. None of us is alone. Each of us has the companionship of one another and of God. Each one of us has the companionship of God and one another. What a beautiful thing that is. What a beautiful thing.